Okay, so we, we have looked at somewhat of a, a basis, or you could say a biblical principle behind fighting against the deceitfulness of disobedience. We've looked at what the Scripture has to say and some examples and illustrations there. In this session, we're going to note, uh, we're going to make some more practical applications. We're going to note some areas in life where this, where this is fleshed out, where we, where we deal with, with this perhaps on an everyday basis, you could say, in the ordinary things of life. Some areas of life that we really need to be on guard Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for a starting point here. This is simply my prayer for each one of us. Ephesians chapter 4, I would just like to note verses 11 through 16. It's a beautiful picture here of, of believers that are strong and healthy spiritually. And, and through that, through that, uh, the fact that, that each one of them has a desire to be strong and healthy and, and on fire spiritually for the Lord, that, that develops a tremendous working together relationship, a powerful group of people that can fight the forces of evil together. But it's founded on personal commitment. Individuals that are, are desiring to be on fire for the Lord, and you, you band a group of people like, to get, like that together, and you have, you have a group of soldiers for Christ that can fight spiritual battles together in a very powerful way. I find that beautiful. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Wow, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I just love that picture. You have the picture of, of Christ being the head of the church. And then he's put various, various ones in different, uh, different offices, you could say, within the church for the, for the, for the means of, of nurturing the people and building them up in the faith and teaching them the truth of God's Word. And then as people, as people believe that and, and buy into that and say, yes, I want to. I want to take that for myself. That's that's real. That's truth, and that's what I want for my life. It builds a group of people who are on fire and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an army of disciples of Jesus Christ that are out there fighting deception with the truth of God's word in love. In love. 
you know, embedded in every one of Satan's tactics is deception. And we fight and we overcome deception with the truth of God's Word. Just note that once again, the last part of verse 14, the first part of 15. It says, don't be like little children that are just tossed to and fro and they believe everything. You know how little children are. They believe whatever you tell them. You know, I get myself in all kinds of a pickle sometimes when, when, when I, just being funny, I tell my little children something and, and they'll burn me a few days later in front of my friends or at church or something, you know. You know, children believe things, like even things that don't make sense. The Apostle Paul is saying here, don't be like little children. Now, Jesus said we should be like little children in some ways. But the Apostle Paul is saying in this way, don't be like little children where you just believe everything you hear, okay? Because you're going to get burned spiritually if you listen and soak in everything you hear today. But he says, speak the truth in love. There's a, a real emphasis on truth and how it is so vitally important to fight and overcome deception. Okay, let's, let's note here a number of practical areas in our lives where we must be on guard against the deceitfulness of disobedience. In Galatians chapter 5 or 6, it's just coming to my mind right now, the Apostle Paul writes about the importance of sowing to the Spirit in contrast to sowing to the flesh. For you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You sow to the flesh, you reap death. You sow to the Spirit, you reap, you reap life everlasting. Hey, the Bible is so practical. Who wants to die? <laughs> I don't. Who wants to have life everlasting? I do. I mean, this isn't really hard stuff. And yet, Satan likes to muddy the waters. He likes to throw those little doubts in there. Those little, you know, slip in that little deception. But all of a sudden, it doesn't seem quite so clear after all, does it? Let's start out here. First of all, here's a practical one. And that is sort of a, a summary of last night in a sense. And that is wealth. The subject of wealth and the stuff of this world. You know, wealth, just like sin and just like disobedience, is deceptive. It, it also promises much, but it gives little in return. And the devil uses this glamorous package as a means of drawing us away from the things in life that are really real. The things in life that are really important, that have eternal value. Things like our spouse. Things like our children. Things like our neighbors. Things like our church. And the list could go on and on. The things in life that are really for real. He uses these physical things in life to draw us away from those. And He gets us so busy taking care of our stuff which means less time for nourishing our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, maybe it's not that we don't want to. We just say, I didn't have enough time. Okay, 
Yeah, maybe you didn't have time. Why not? Why didn't you have time? You had time to wash your boat. You had time to shoot your bow. You had, you know, and I'm going to say stuff that, that I think about, you know. It's about prior, prioritizing our time. What is really important to you? I say you will, you will find time in the day to do what is really important to you. You will. But Satan makes prosperity look so appealing and he makes the Word of God look so dull and drab that after a while we just sort of lose our appetite for it. We just don't have a real appetite for God's Word <laughs> after all because it's boring, you know, because we've, we've, we've put our energy, we've put our focus into this glamorous package out there that just is just fun. It's just fun. Now, in Mark chapter 4, we read about, uh, it's the parable of the sower. And Jesus compares wealth and the stuff of this world to thorns. How many of you like thorns? <laughs> I kind of forget about how bad thorns are until I try to blood trail a deer through a cutover, and then I'm reminded that, you know, thorns are pretty nasty. <laughs> They're just pretty nasty. And thorns leave a mark. <laughs> they stay with you for a while. Jesus compared wealth and the stuff of this world to thorns. Listen to what he said in Mark chapter 4, verse 7. The seed, some of the seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And then he explains it in verses 18 and 19. He says, These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Wealth and the stuff of this world is an area where we must be on guard against the deceitfulness of disobedience. Let's think about our music for a moment. There are many Christians today that are making their music choices based on how that music is labeled. In other words, as long as it's labeled as Christian music, it's okay. It's good enough. Dear people, Satan is having a heyday today with music that is simply labeled Christian music. He is having a heyday. We must be discerning. Do not be deceived. Just because that CD came from the CBD catalog or even from the local Christian bookstore does not necessarily mean that it's fit for the disciple of Jesus Christ. Got a question for you. How can we call certain music Christian when an open and honest look reveals more fleshly characteristics than spiritual? Just something to ponder. How can we call certain music groups, certain artists, Christian when an open and honest look reveals more fleshly characteristics than spiritual? You can chew on that one for a little while. You see, much of what is labeled as Christian music does not conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's not Christian music. It's simply labeled as such. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I would like for us to note some verses here 
that give us some direction for our music, for our listening habits today. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to note verses 6 through 19. And I want you to take note as we read these verses, I want you to take note of two contrasting words. We have darkness and we have light. Okay? Darkness and light. Now, our music, the Christian's music, should edify. Should edify. What does edify mean? Edify means to teach in a way that improves the mind, that improves the character. To teach in a way that nurtures you, that inspires you, that illuminates you. I found that interesting as I looked up that, that definition. Edify has to do with illumination. Okay? Now, we're, I want you all to note the words darkness and light. Okay? Our music, the Christian's music, should illuminate our light, our life. It should bring light to our life. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light." For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship, excuse me, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them or expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit." speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now, before we move on, let me just, let me just note here the, the tail end of these verses that we just read. I find it very interesting uh, that, okay, so the Apostle Paul writes about, don't be filled with wine, don't be filled with, with the stuff of this world that people go to to get a high. No, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now we know the result of, of being filled what, what, you know, from, from observation, from reading, so forth. We know the result of being filled with wine, alcohol, the stuff of this world. It's more of a devastating type result. But note the result of a person that is filled with the Spirit. Now the Apostle Paul could have listed a number of things right after that. You know, I... He could have listened, you know, after he says you should be filled with the Spirit, he could have said, you know, a, a person that's filled with the Spirit should be this and should be that and should act nice and should talk this way and should... Blah, blah. But, but what did he say? He immediately talks about the Christian song. Their song. In other words, an obvious response to salvation experienced is singing. 
It's an attitude of gratitude for what God has done for us. And I say that when there is a lack of song coming from uh, a believer's mouth, from their heart, it, it would, I think we could rightly question whether they have experienced an authentic salvation experience. Where is the song? The Scripture makes it clear that, that one of the first things that erupts from the Christian's mouth and heart is singing, is God-honoring music. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, that was just a side note. Let's go back to these verses, and, and I just want to note four things that I see in these verses as it relates to our music and our listening habits. First of all, prove what is acceptable to the Lord, verse 10. Or in other words, find out what pleases God. Do you think God cares about your music? Do you think God cares about your song? <laughs> Absolutely, He sure does. In other words, make effort to find out what pleases God. And the basis for this is not what we like or what we don't like, or I like this style, or I don't like that style, or they are good and they're not. No, it's what is God like? What does Scripture say? What is the truth about it? The basis for finding out what pleases God is the Word of God. Secondly, in verse 11, have nothing to do with that which the Lord has nothing to do with. I simply ask you, do your listening habits give clear evidence that you are walking as a child of light? Or does it cause people to doubt? When people hear your music, when people hear your song, do they say, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that agrees with his testimony. Or do they say, really? Does it cause doubt in their minds? Thirdly, be a discerning Christian, verses 15 and 16. Be a discerning Christian. And we must stop thinking that we can ride the fence, as it were, with our music. Just, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's just, you know, it's all right. Look, a discerning Christian, one that is intent on doing the Lord's will, will stay, will go as close to Jesus Christ and stay there. That's their desire. It's not to see how far they can get and still be in. It's how close can I get to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the yearning of their heart. Fourthly, verse 17, be interested in the will of God. You know, our thought patterns as it relates to music and what we listen to should not be centered around, uh, is this okay? Or I, I wonder what dad and mom would think. Or I sure, I sure hope Sam or Leon or whoever doesn't, doesn't hear about this. No! Our thought patterns should all be centered around, let's find out what God likes. Let's find out what pleases Him. Be interested in knowing the will of God for your life, especially as it relates to our music. Let's move along. Let's think for a moment about our marriages and our homes. Satan is wreaking havoc in marriages and in homes today. And dear people, it's no longer just out there. It's no longer just out there. Recently, one of the most conservative Baptist churches there in South Boston uh, was going through the process of ordaining some deacons for their congregation. One of my, a good friend of mine uh, attended there for some time. He was telling me about this. 
And, and there was, there's a new ministry team there at that congregation. And this new ministry team felt like it was important that they ordain men that have not been divorced or remarried. And so that was one of the requirements that they were giving this time for deacons, men that were not, had never been divorced or remarried. And this congregation is every bit this size or perhaps larger. I've, been, I've visited there a time or two. You want to guess how many men they found in their congregation that met that criteria? They found three. They found three men that had not been divorced or remarried. I say... Satan is wreaking havoc in homes and marriages today. And it's no longer just out there in the world somewhere. But dear people, it's even reached our own doorsteps. No doubt you've heard of it in circles that you relate to, in the conservative Mennonite church perhaps. And I say that our marriages and our homes are under attack like never before. And let me suggest to you this morning that modern technology and the internet is leading this attack with both barrels blazing. And it is through this medium and others as well, I admit it's not only that, but it is through this medium and others as well that Satan bring, brings that age-old question into our minds. Yeah, have God said? Is that really what God meant? Really? And little by little, relationships begin to break down. Little by little, we begin to break down our resolve, causing us to doubt the absolute truth of God's Word. And little by little, we find ourselves living a life of compromise. Recently, I overheard a conversation there at the bakery where I manage and, and I hear a lot of conversations throughout the day. It's interesting. I enjoy that. But this is one I didn't necessarily enjoy. I overheard this conversation, this, uh, this man and lady that, that knew each other. They, they met, and, and, uh, and, the, and the lady said, so how are you doing? How are you doing? How are things going for you? And the man said, well, I recently came through a divorce. And, uh, and, and her reply was, oh, I'm, I'm so very sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. He said, oh no, he said, it's a, it's a good thing. He said, I haven't been happy for a long time and, and I know that the Lord doesn't want that for me. And I said, wow. And it went through my mind, the deceitfulness of disobedience. You know, I, I doubt his wife was very happy either for quite some time. And Satan brings these things into our minds that that's all about me. It's all about me. And, and if I'm not happy, something's not right. And I need to be happy. And if things aren't working out, you know, God wants me to be happy. And, and that, that worldview is all around us. And so if this isn't working out, let's try another. And there's always good excuses. There's always good excuses. And I say that Satan blinds people into thinking so many times that the second or third one is the best. And I've met different people in our community that are on their second marriage, and they're so happy. Oh, they're so happy. And they're serving the Lord. And they're involved in ministry. And Satan is just chuckling. He is just chuckling. I say if there was ever a need for shining examples of faithfulness and purity in our homes, it is today. It is now. I say with a watchful eye, 
for Satan's deception, let us guard our homes with our life. Let's speak just about the, the home for just a bit. Parents, what are you doing to promote truth in your home? What are you doing to promote truth in your home? And are you being active and intentional in that pursuit? My mind goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses was passing on the Word from God. God was saying, this is my commandment to the people. Moses, I want you to pass this on to them. And at the central part of that, of that thrust was having homes that are permeated with the Word of God. And, and Moses told the people, God's Word needs to be an everyday part of your life. When you get up in the morning, as you go through the day, when you, sleep, when you go down to bed at night, when you're walking, when you're driving, when you're, whatever you're doing, make the Word of God a central part of your life. Live your life out of the Word of God. Make that the central focus. Tie things in the relationships and the happenings and what happens throughout the day, tie them into the Word of God. The Word of God must permeate our homes. The truth of God's Word must be the foundation in our homes. Some time ago, our family was down... Well, I won't say where. We were, we were away having weekend meetings. And we stayed in a home. Uh, some of us stayed in the girls' bedroom and some of us stayed in the boys' bedroom. And... The bookshelves in that bedroom were lined with romance novels and uh, novels and fiction books about war. Uh, people shooting one another and secrets and spies and all this and that and the other thing. And it just hit, it just hit me. Okay, so that's, that's what is being put into those young children's minds. That's not truth. That's not truth. But yet they're being raised on reading material that is fantasy, that is contrary to our view of Scripture, and yet then they go to church and Sunday school and Bible school and they're taught this, but yet they've been brought up on this. Um, how does that work? And then we have problems in church and we can't figure out why. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Parents, are you doing the most you can to promote truth in your homes? Let us be active. Let us be intentional. You see, when we have a desire to promote truth in our homes, that will affect the books that are on the bookshelf, the magazines that are on the on the coffee table, the music that we listen to, uh, the places we go for vacation, our hobbies, that affects everything. It's centered around truth. Let's move on to friendships. Friendships. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The NIV reads this way, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. There's a direct connection between the quality of our friends and the quality of our personal character. 
Be not deceived, the Apostle Paul writes. Don't think it's otherwise. Beware. Just a few weeks ago, I was uh, talking to one of the young fellows from one of our sister congregations up in the valley, and I knew that he was going through some struggles in life, or he, he had been going through some serious spiritual struggles in life, and, and, and he, had, he had turned his life around with the help of God. He, had, he was free. He was now free. Yeah, he, had, he had dealt with some severe pornography problems and, and other things as well, and just did not have a, a desire for the Word of God, and, and was just, he was down and out for sure, spiritually. But through the power of God, he... He is now free, and he has a real testimony for the Lord, and it's powerful. And I was encouraging him. We were talking about that. And he said, you know, Josh, you know what one of the, one of the most difficult parts of, of, of coming clean and, and turning around my life was? You know what one of the most difficult parts was? That was giving up some of my Christian friends. He had grown up with friends who were Christian friends. And those were his good friends. And they did a number of things together that, that were not healthy for him spiritually. They went places that were not good for them spiritually. They got together and watched movies that were not good for them spiritually. It broke down their resolve. But yet it was Christian friends, so it was okay, right? He said one of the hardest things of coming clean was having to go to those friends and say, can't relate to you anymore and telling them why and they didn't understand he said that was difficult but I trust one day they will there's a direct connection between the quality of our friends and the quality of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ don't be deceived. I say giving up friends sometimes is very important and sometimes very necessary in order to maintain a holy life. And the Scripture says, without holiness, no man shall see God. Let's move on here to the area of modern technology and internet uh, for a little. And that's something that is a very uh, normal part of many of our lives. I often fear, though, that our readiness to accept the next and best things that technology has to offer is slowly but surely numbing us to the reality and to the influence of the evils that are embedded in it. And I fear that we are quickly becoming, becoming a people who are wired to feel the slightest vibration of our phone in our pocket, and we are wired to hear that quiet alarm that it sounds, but yet we cannot discern the voice of the Spirit. God help us. And the devil chuckles because ever so slowly and so slyly he is breaking us down in the name of modern necessity, and convenience. And all the while, many individuals and many congregations are suffering great spiritual loss, and many homes are as well. 
there's a word that I would like to suggest to you this morning. And it's, it's not a popular word, but it's a very powerful word. And that is the word abstain. Abstain. Sounds simple, doesn't it? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's not that easy. But I have found, just my personal testimony, I have found a tremendous sense of peace and freedom when I have been, un when I have been willing to finally give up something in my life that was just nagging me and nagging me and wearing me down for some time. When I finally got to the point of saying, okay, it's just not worth it, and giving that up, I have found such a tremendous sense of peace and freedom through that. And no, it's not always easy. It's not always convenient to abstain. But since when did the Bible say that being a committed disciple of Jesus Christ is convenient? No, we don't read that. In fact, how I understand it, it's often the opposite. No, it's not convenient to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not easy. It's not always fun. But it's the right thing to do. And you, it results in great blessing and joy and peace. Things that money can't buy, which are truly of greatest importance. And I'm convinced today that there are too many Christians that are trying to grow without completely getting rid of the flesh. And dear people, there are many things in this world that in and of themselves are not wrong. No, they're not. And, and yes, they may have a place, and they may do a lot of good. They may have great benefit. But dear people, if they are getting between us and our relationship of Jesus Christ, they are wrong, and they've got to go. They've got to go. Our goal as a Christian should be that there's nothing between our soul and the Savior. Nothing between. I say if they're causing us to stumble, I don't, I don't care how good they are, if they're causing us to stumble, if they're causing us uh, to, to spend time with them instead of time with God, then we need to do, do what Jesus said and cast them far from us. Cast them far from us. And so, you know, if the newspaper is, is causing you to stumble, whether through uh, the time you put towards reading it or, or through your thought life, stop getting it. Stop getting it. If your smartphone is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Okay? I mean, you can think of all kinds of excuses, and I did for a long time too. <laughs> I did for a long time. But if it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your hobby is causing you to, to neglect your personal time with God, rethink your priorities. And the list could go on and on. This is what the Scripture says. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The Apostle Peter didn't just say, take a little time off. You know, restrict yourself a little bit here and there. Put it in your back pocket, blah, blah, blah. No, abstain. Abstain. It's about having a proper perspective of what is important in life. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Hebrews 12, 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us 
and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Where is your focus? What's important to you? You know, the power that comes from abstaining is founded in the fact that it is biblical. That it is founded in the truth of God's Word. That's where the power comes from. Let me just say that self-denial is not a mark of weakness. Self-denial is not a mark of weakness. Instead, it's the measure of a real man. (laughs) It's the measure of a real woman of God. It certainly is. challenge you with that. Let's note one more yet, and that is in church life. We're thinking this morning about the deceitfulness of disobedience. You know, one bad apple can spoil the whole basket. You've heard that before. One bad apple can spoil the whole basket. You remember the story of Achan. Think back about that story of Achan. How the children of Israel suffered an embarrassing defeat where 36 good, strong men were killed. And the name of God suffered reproach because one brother in the camp disobeyed the revealed will of God. Just one brother. Just one brother. You could say it different ways. Just one brother. No, just one brother. Dear people, God hates disobedience. In any form, shape, it doesn't matter. He hates disobedience. I wonder this morning, how are you doing as members of this congregation? And are you making special effort to honor and obey, to support the brotherhood agreement that you have committed yourself to? You have voluntarily committed yourself to the agreement here in this particular congregation. Are you giving special effort to honor that, to obey that? Do you have an attitude of loyalty to this brotherhood? Is your talk edifying? Is your love sincere? Is your worship authentic? You see, Satan would like us to think that that we can just play church. He would like us to think that we can just play church. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You see, we're fooling no one but ourselves. Our brothers and sisters aren't fooled. God's certainly not fooled. He sees right through that. Let me just remind each of us this morning that the choices we make, the choices we make affects our brothers and sisters. The choices we make affects the overall spiritual health and effectiveness of this congregation. It places personal responsibility on each one of us. It really is that serious, brothers and sisters. Some closing scriptures here. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn to that for a few closing verses. I'll sort of start, uh, stop where we started this morning, mentioning that deception is a major tool in Satan's toolbox. I said at the beginning that I believe deception is one of the most worn tools 
in Satan's toolbox. Let me just say that I believe that deception is a very major tool in Satan's last days toolbox. And we see that actually here in Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Beware of deception but take hold of the truth. That's the challenge for us this morning. Beware of deception, but take hold of the truth. And we guard against deception by recognizing the Bible as the truth. It is the inspired Word of God. In it, God speaks. Therefore, it's powerful. We guard against deception by recognizing that God's Word is relevant for all generations. God's word is unchanging. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word is unchanging, and it's relevant for us today. No, it was not just for them back then. It speaks to you and me today. And thirdly, we guard against deception by applying the word to our personal lives, by obeying it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You don't deceive anyone else, by the way. <laughs> deceiving your own selves. Study to show thyselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I say that a person that is backslidden has almost invariably lost out in the word of God. Mark it down. We'll close with this. The deceitfulness of disobedience destines its captives to desolation and destruction. But the truth of God's Word prepares, empowers, and perfects God's people. May God help us to be people that are passionate about standing for the truth.